Let's start with some tough love, all right? You two suck. Say my name. That's what the kids call Prissy guy with the mustache. You're listening to Inside the Gillivers, talking all things Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul. Brought to you by Stewart Travel Guitars. See the incredible stowaway travel guitar at stewartguitars.com. Also brought to you by Idea Bench, makers of hot rod inspired pedal boards and pedal board accessories at ideabench.com. Microphones for Inside the Gillivers are brought to you by Road Microphones. Now, please welcome your host, Eric Braun. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us for episode 17 of Inside the Gilliverse, where we talk all things Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul. My name is Eric Broadbent, and it comes with extreme pleasure to welcome tonight's guest, uh, writer, executive story editor, the lovely and talented Ms. Heather Marion. Heather, how are you? I am doing good. I'm doing good. I'm hanging in. That's great. That's good. That's good. Very, very happy to have you. And I know we've had a lot of discussion in the chats over the past little bit, especially having Tom on the show as a co-host. We're having him back soon. People love the insider stuff. And and I know and we're never going to ask you things that you can't answer. Uh, and we never ask the writers things, any of the other writers things they can't answer. But the, people, the, fa- the fans here and the viewers just love this stuff. So when I said you're coming on, I said Gordon was coming on, you know, uh, uh, Jennifer's coming on. We're really excited to be able to share some of the behind you know the behind the scenes stuff so great to have you here and i know we're gonna have some great questions from the audience tonight but uh how you been keeping uh, busy like and kind of staying focused uh, with all this crazy covid stuff that's been going on you know uh i work out a lot i just finished kickboxing with luis moncada who you may know he's yep. one of the uh lovely salamanca cousins um and his brother danny joins us sometimes so I do that and I've been uh, writing. I'm uh, in a virtual room and I am uh, working on a couple of things myself. So also trying to stay busy. Good. You and I were talking off the air and that's something, you know, so I, I don't usually do this off the hop, but I mean, it's probably a good thing. You know, we're approaching uh, going on a full year, close to eight months plus whatever, being kind of cooped up in our homes. For some people like myself, it's no different because I work from home, um, but the world is a different place. And I think it's good to, you know, recognize, you know, mental health and, and just you know, what you're doing too is a physical thing where it's physical activity and that can also stimulate the mind and keep people, you know, focused. But, you know, just be aware of uh, the stress that everyone is under and, and we wish everyone the best going into through the rest of this 2020. And hopefully things will start picking up better for everyone in 2021. Yeah, yeah. And staying active. And, and you know, I, I was like we were saying before we started, there are many days where I'm tempted to, uh, reach for my phone first thing in the morning and just cycle between the news apps. And that's just causing me so much anxiety. It's like, you know, it's best for me to unplug and and really seek out the things that I'm interested in, like this show on a Friday night or um, looking, looking up Eric Broadbent on YouTube and spending time seeing you lay down some Van Halen presets for line six. And then I'm just like, well, that's amazing. Like, I don't know anything about the guitar, but I spent my whole childhood wanting to look like Kenny G. Okay. So, when I see like things that bring me joy, it's just, I remember that whatever I focus on grows. So if I can stay in a positive mindset and do things that are uh, making me feel good, making me, you know, uh, happy, then, then I think we can get through this. Okay. And, uh, you know, I keep my writer's room toys all around. I think I have one here. This is something we used to have in the better call solver. Oh, is that slinky? It's kind of a slinky. It's like an arm slinky that kind of, Oh, that's Slide neat. And, well, that'll keep yeah. the blood flowing too, right? So you're not getting cramped. And yeah, that's cool. I've never seen that. 
Um, yeah, we had one in our saw room, so I ordered one at the start of quarantine so I can fiddle around with it. That's so, nice. Yeah. Well, thank you for the the very nice words on the guitar playing. I appreciate that. <laughs> you know this is going to be show and tell. <laughs> Who knows, right? No, that's cool. And you know it's really funny, too? One of our mutual friends, I know you've worked with her before, and I love her to death. She's been on the show as Betsy Kellerman, uh, Julianne Emery. I saw a tweet of hers one time. You know, she's like, you know, she likes a good tea. And, you know, I saw a tweet one day. She woke up. She goes, hmm, but not necessarily the, the best idea to grab a tea and go for, on Twitter as first thing in the morning. And, you know, sometimes you just see, like, the political stuff, and it's just like, oh, you know, come on, let's, you know, no matter what side of the fence you're on, it's just, there's, it's bad on both sides, you know, and just looking forward to a little bit of calmness, right? Who knows? We'll, we'll get there eventually. Yeah. 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 Here's some good questions coming in already uh, from one of our channel members and our good friends as well too, Arabella. Uh, she says, my question is, Kim Wexer's a very complex and intriguing character, and she's become the heart of Better Call Saul. How did your writers decide her development on the show? And what's it like to work with Ray? And I know you've got some great uh, photos with her. I know your friends. So kind of a dub double, um, double part question. Yeah, great question, Arabella. Thank you uh, for that. I think I may have seen, seen you on Twitter. Um, uh, Ray Seahorn is every bit as lovely and amazing as you think she is in real life. And... Um, our, the development of her as a character uh, and, and the process of casting her has been interesting. And I don't know if uh, anyone shared with you on the show, but like when we cast her, I was the person who wrote the casting sides at the time because I was the writer's assistant when we started this show. So when we cast Ray, when we were casting the Kim character, I think we had one script written, but, but we weren't, um, we didn't go into the show with a preset idea of like where she would end up and and who she would become we really let the character evolve with us and and us with her and um i think when we originally uh envisioned her she was more of a a straight edge like rule setting um kind of finger wagging presence in jimmy's life so it, so the first scene that we wrote for her to be cast was like i think she was playing a cop and like she got called to the scene of a of a something that was going down and she gets there and she realizes that the perpetrator is her sister and she has to sit her down. And it was just like, we watched all of these actresses come through and we're like, they're just not feeling right. And then we got a little further into talking about the episode. Maybe we were in episode two at the time. And uh, if you remember in the first episode, uh, Kim doesn't do, I mean, a lot. She sees Jimmy in the parking garage and says, you know, I can't do that, Jimmy. So we don't get a, a good look behind the screen. And just the more we got to know uh, her, the the more complicated and complex and, um, you know, interesting she became. And she really has taken over um, as the heart of the show. And that makes me so, so happy. Um, and I identify with that character a lot. You know, uh, I grew up in South southern Nebraska in a small town on the Kansas border, wishing for more. So a lot of Kim's backstory um, is my own. My uncle has a, a funeral home in Red Cloud uh, where you saw Kim standing in the teaser of uh one of the episodes in season five. Oh, fantastic well well and the, the, we're going to go into another question from our friend karina and it's kind of and it's we're going to talk about dialogue it's a good question about dialogue and that's the thing too with ray i mean she she just owns it when it comes to uh air and spacing and pausing uh at pacing and sometimes the, the lack of dialogue and we're going to get into a question about that as well too um but I didn't know that about that. I didn't know that you wrote some of those parts for that. So that is absolutely fantastic. And it's also very cool to see as well, too. And a show that is technically the, is a male lead, you know, written written about Bob, written about uh, Jimmy McGill, Saul Goodman. 
And yet a woman is really um, kind of the lead in a way as well, too. So it's good to see her with a strong presence, uh, a good role model for, you know, actors, uh, women getting into film, TV, those kind of things. It's, uh, she's a great role model for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. she's a good person to look up to on and off screen. You know, when she was on the show, she was on with Tom and I. She was on my show before Tom started, then she'd come on with Tom as well, too. And before we went live, just like you and I were doing, we're talking for about five minutes, we had the best conversation about nearly killing ourselves as kids on 70s furniture. Do you remember, like, you know, our parents? Like, I know I'm a lot older than you, um, but, you know, it, the 70s were a bad time when it comes to, like, like safety warnings. Like today, there, nothing would pass safety. You know, cutting our, our knees and feet on coffee tables. And we could have talked the entire uh, 60 minutes about injuries. <laughs> it was really funny. Yeah, I mean, we used to have a slide in our backyard that was just made of wood and, like, a metal sheet. And that was the slide that we oh. would... I remember coming off that thing with my hands full of splinters and then my dad would be like, well, don't put your hands on it. Like that was the, that was the answer. It was not like, let's get a safer slide. It was just like, you're not riding it correctly. I know. So yeah, I miss the eighties. Bring them back. We need a little personal responsibility around here. Did you ever have lawn darts? Remember those? Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Most of the toys were were just designed to kill you. I think it was a lot of uh, uh, parents being like, how can we weed out some of these extra children? (laughs) Yeah. I don't, I don't like little Bobby over here. Here, here's a dart son. Catch. Oh, sorry. It's in your forehead. Yeah. So Karina's question. uh, So we're talking kind of about the dialogue and this is a really good question as well too. And this is about one of your episodes, which I loved when we talk about our friends you just mentioned with the boxing. She says, is it harder to write a dialogue free scene and picture how it plays out in your head than a scene with dialogue, such as the epic shootout scene and talk from season four at the motels of Salamanca Brothers and Nacho. And then, um, you know, we had a question from Arabella asking, working with Ray, uh, what's it like working with the brothers? Um, Those are great questions, both of those. Um, And both versions of those scenes, one dialogue heavy and one with no dialogue, uh, present their own challenges and take their own amount of time. And I myself am a slow writer. Um, and usually I go through the script and I write mostly action first and then I go back and fill in the dialogue. Um, I'm thinking of, a, of, of an episode from season two, the first one that I uh, got to work on the show with. I co-wrote the season two finale with Vince. And I remember, uh, you know, having a, a master class in screenwriting, uh, reading the back half of episode 10 because Vince had written about an eight page scene in the desert with Mike and the sniper rifle with no dialogue. Um, and I, it was just uh, chef's kiss. Um, <laughs> uh, was so well written and you're, you're picturing the whole thing. And, and I referred to back to that many times when I was uh, taking a crack at that, um, that, um, that season four episode um, in the shootout. Um, and we, we anchored that in Nacho's point of view. So we, uh, we really tried to stay with him as the character and like he's walking up on the, the guy that comes in on the truck and he shoots that guy, that's his first kill. So like, what is the emotion of Nacho that's pulling us to the, through the scene? Not just what are we seeing visually in the scene? Um, and uh, 210 was also the first time that I worked with the brothers with Lewis and Danny. Uh, and they are so lovely. They're, they're just so funny. <laughs> and so gregarious and so talkative like couldn't be i was saying ray's ray is a lot like the loveliness that you see and the the, louis Louis and danny are are not they're the opposite it's just like you want to run up and hug them yeah when i first met them being like oh i don't know um (laughs) this is good to look 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they like to get that down and dirty. They were great in 404 and I love working with them every time. I just love writing for them. What's well, so funny. I, I put a post on Twitter. I think it was after the guys were on and it was, it was a, a silly, um, I, I, I subscribe. I'm, I have a member for the AMC press to use their photos with permission and stuff. Right. So I was going through some of the behind the scenes stuff and there's one where they're up in a, um, a lift. It was, you know, they and they had an umbrella cause it was either hot or there was weather coming. I don't know what it was, probably heat. And it looked like they were Mary Poppins, you know, up there with an umbrella, right? And they're smiling, whatever. And I, I posted something like, see, see, they're not that tough. And then either Daniel or Lewis, uh, one of them said, or both of them said, look, man, we're coming for you. We got some street cred to uphold. We can't be saying that we're nice guys, you know, this kind of stuff, right? It was so funny. Um, but here's a question from Nat Romero. And you've kind of already um, hit it right on the head talking about working with Vince. But I want to ask just to at least um, mention her. She says, so you co-wrote 210 with Vince Gillen, how, Gilligan. How is it to work hand in hand with the boss? Uh, as your first writing assignment and also how does it work so you kind of touch base on that and a funny little comment at the end she says do you split the index cards and go your separate ways <laughs> um you know that was an interesting uh experience we had because we, we were so close to shooting uh when we wrote 210 i i ended up doing the rewrites of 210 with vince in his um in his kitchen at his place in Albuquerque when we were getting ready for production. And I just, it, it was so surreal. It was such a dream to be able to work with him. And, um, and he really treated me like, um, you know, like a colleague, which was incredibly bizarre. I was coming out season two. I was the writer's assistant and script coordinator. So I had those dual roles and I wasn't really thinking about, um, writing a script that season. Um, and I had written, uh, I had written an extra scene where um, Price, the character Price that sells the pills. Yep. Um, Mark Prosh. Yeah, Mark Prosh. And there's a there's a scene where Jimmy's talking about how Price sits in pies and he cries. And he, he, <laughs> he, he was telling the police this cover story and that Price sells these videos to rich patro- art patrons. Um, and so we actually had that scene written and Jenny Hutchison, who you're talking to soon, she let me take a crack at that scene and uh, Vince and Peter really uh, took a shining to it. And I remember Vince saying, would you like to write episode 210 with me, um, you know, after writing that video? And I was just like, I can't, I can't believe this is my life. Yeah. Uh, Yes. I mean, yes, that's my dream. And uh, we, had finished uh, breaking the episode and we just, we split it. I wrote the teaser act one and act two and Vince went off and, and wrote three and four. And then we switched it and gave, gave each other notes. <laughs> I didn't give him any notes. I had no notes. It was perfect. Um, and he had some notes for me and then I rewrote it. And then we, uh, we went into shooting in, in Albuquerque. So it was really amazing. What a pleasure. And he is, he's so nice. When we talked to him, like I was, I was a little nervous. To, uh, like I don't usually fanboy out and I usually don't get too worked up before a show. But when Vince was on, I was like, okay, now we, we got, we got Mr. Gillivers. We have the captain of the ship. And I was like, I, for a few, few moments, I was kind of like stepping on my tongue, you know, and trying to get the words out. But it, he's such a cool guy. He just, you know, just so relaxed and he brings the best out of everybody. And I'm sure you guys will uh, all in the writer's room uh, agree with that. Yeah. And I just, yeah, he, he, he's the kind of person that I just want to spend uh, my career around to people who are kind and uh, excellent at what they do and, um, you know, foster growth for the people that are around them. And I just, I think he's, I think the world of him. I think if he ever goes to, when a day comes when he wants to retire, who knows when that could be, I think he'd be good to read children's books. I love his voice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's yeah. a good um, I think he could fly around in helicopters and read children's books. Um and maybe write a few. Yeah, exactly. 
Here's a super chat question from one of our, our good fans and friends, uh, members of the channel, Shashank Vachari. Uh, how does it feel for you both as a writer and a fan of the show uh, as you see Jimmy and Kim's relationship getting darker and possibly not ending well? That's a good question. Ah, yeah, you, you really hit it there. And um, I have a lot of feelings about it. And we've, we've talked about it. I mean, I think in one, when we're breaking the story in the room, um, it's just as much like it's breaking our hearts when we're going in a direction, but we follow the characters where they take us. And mm -hmm. they're taking us in this direction. Or, and I'm, I'm excited to see where they go for season six. Um, and an interesting thing about the show is like, there are really there are physical stakes for Kim because we don't know what happens to her down the road. We don't know how she, where she ends up. We know that Jimmy's okay in the future because we've all seen Breaking Bad and we know that Saul Goodman's around. So the, the stakes for Jimmy are a man who's losing his soul. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can be worse than the stakes of like, is he going to lose her, his life or not? So on one hand, we're like seeing uh, the, the, devolving of jimmy and his his soul sinking down and down and then kim and he are separating and it's just it's getting so heartbreaking and um i love it yeah it is and that, that, that's that redemption that's I, what i'm hoping for i love how all of you and, and when i say all of you i mean everybody from from grips to probably catering everybody in the cast and crew are all fans even if they're if it's a cast member who has been killed off or they've left they're still so devoted to the show and 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 that's why it's so contagious you know it just it makes us believe it everyone's such a fan so i love that uh more great questions coming in this is from harini uh this is and uh, this is a kind of a funny one here as well too it might put you on the spot a little bit it says tell us something about uh tell us about something in the show that was heavily debated in the writer's room who is someone you disagree with often? And it's probably, if you want to just digress to Tom Schnauz, we're fine with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um, you know, the honest, I mean, the honest answer, and I'm not just saying that, is that um, the, the room works so cohesively that often at the end of the day, and certainly at the end of the season or the episode, you look back and, and you can't, you can't really remember who came up with what idea and who was on. I don't remember like a knockdown argument about um, what should happen or not happen. I definitely remember scenes where we struggled to come up with the, the right way to do it. For example, in 210, the sequence where um, the horn's honking and Mike goes back and finds the don't note. Um, we, we, you know, it took days to figure out how exactly the, how are the mechanics working? We thought about like, is there a, a remote control car that drives up with a note on it? Like <laughs> it took a long time to get that sequence right. And there were, there are, um, examples of that from every season, you know, the, the mechanics of the shootout took a long time to work on. And, um, I, um, I just, I love the process of struggling in the room full of people. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Especially that are so lovely, like like they are. Well, that's something I had a note, and this will be the only thing I'll reference one of my questions tonight, uh, or a point for that matter. Even when your name is attached to an episode, you know, when, when you're assigned to an episode or Tom's assigned to an episode and gets credit for the episode, we always hear the term being used, collaboration, and there's so much from everybody, right? And it's such a team effort. You know, just one person, you know, fortunately gets their name attached to it and, and probably writes the bulk of it, of course, but there's so much group effort. And, uh, you know, both with Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, the team that this comes together I, there's no wonder why it's uh, you know arguably the best tv out there yeah and it's really it really is a team effort and there's no wrong pitch you know often you know some of the best pitches are when we are struggling like i was just saying we'll be talking for days and and the thing's not coming to us 
and then someone will pitch something out of left field. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, how's Kim going to, this is not a real situation. Yeah. How's Kim going to get back from the desert? And someone's like, finally, after three days, like, what if she rides on a Norwal? And it's like, well, we don't use Norwals on, in our show. This is a real show. That's not going to work. But the thing that that does is it asks us to consider what if Kim doesn't walk? What if she gets a ride? And then that ends up being the solution to the thing. And like, that was a very important thing to say, even though it wasn't the right thing. So it doesn't do us any good to like, judge our contributions are, um, you know, how, how we're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, we all push the, the ball forward together. Can you imagine someone just as late to the party here tonight? They're just tuning in just at that very moment. You're saying, yes, when Kim goes out to the desert, <laughs> they're thinking, oh, my God, what's going to happen to Kim? She's in the desert. They they take her out there, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, Kim's in the desert, and she comes back on a Norwalk. <laughs> Here's a question. I'm going to pronounce the name wrong. I, I'm very familiar with them. Uh, fantastic drawings. Uh, one of the best sketch artists I've seen out there, Ragava. And I, I apologize if I'm saying it wrong. But how would you describe the relationship between Gus and Mike? Um and that's a great relationship as well, too, a weird one. Uh, is it friendship or is it just professional, especially after what happened with Werner Ziegler, uh, Ziegler uh, and the way he's treating Nacho? Yeah, that is a great question. Thank you uh, for asking that. And, um, it, you know, that's a relationship that doesn't really take leaps. It's, it really is increments. And it happens by um, Mike Mike comes to Gus time and again and sort of elbows that line back from early on. And it's because, you know, you learn a lot about characters when the things they care about are threatened. And when, when Mike's family is threatened, he's uh, going out to the desert with a rifle. He's ready to put a bullet through someone's head. Um, and then in an episode uh, in season three, he goes to Gus with some money and says, I need to have you take care of this money for me because I need my family to get it. Otherwise, if something happens to me, they'll never see it again. And he's asking Gus for a favor, knowing felt full well that he's throwing in with, with Gus. Um, and then we fast forward to like, um, for example, 505, and he's taken to this place in the middle of nowhere in Mexico. And he learns a lot about Gus um, and about the commonality they share as um, you know, we have usefulness in that we are both seeking revenge. And do I think that Mike is friends with Gus? Not necessarily, but do I think that he respects him and that they can, they have this, um, understanding that's taking them to the same place? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. No, 505, was that, was that your episode, Dedicado on Mox? Is that yes. yours? Yeah, that was a fantastic episode. And it, we talked about this on the show before too. So, so cool, right? Like I know you're very good friends with Max, the real Max. And we talked about this when he was on the show. Isn't it so cool? For, and there's been a couple times where, you know, characters' names are borrowed from the real world uh, to adopt in the, in the virtual world. Very, very cool for him, though. And then to see that monument as well, too. And then, of course, your title being the, you know, the pinnacle of that. Such a great episode. Oh, thank you. And again, like, just such a group effort, and as all the episodes are. Um, and uh, it felt like that That felt like a pivotal relate. Uh, episode for the relationship between Gus and Mike and it, it was really magical to watch that we, we shot that in a, close to Santa Fe um, okay. and it was a beautiful location 
and I mean, you're responsible there too for a big turning point, and Mike too, because you know Mike was pretty much he 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 was putting themselves in harm's way on purpose. You know, like he was getting getting completely wasted at the bars, would pick a fight, probably almost hoping to die, but just doesn't want to kill himself. And you know, when you put him in that situation in uh, 505, you know, it was a turning point. And even you know, even Gus says you can go back to doing what you're doing. You know, that life that you chose, whatever, or you can you can do this, and you know, in a way, Gus saves his life. Until he yeah. meets Walter White, of course. Yes, Gus is saving his life. And and I think for many of, of these characters, it's a study in self-destruction. Mm, yeah. I, a lot of them do that. Again, back to going back to Kim in uh, season three, where she starts to basically work herself to death. And, uh, you know, Chuck has much of the same situation where he's self-destructing. And, um, you know, it's just it's so interesting to follow these characters down that path. And, and Mike luckily got saved before he, he ended up going too far. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we talk about this, uh, you know, uh, we, you know, with Tom with uh, bad choice road, the titles, things like that, but it, these choices that these, these characters in the, in the shows make, it's obviously they're made because you guys and girls write the choices for them, but the characters making these choices and, you know, Kim chooses to work like a workaholic, you know, that's how she succeeded. Uh, um, you know, and the, the, a lot of the other actors make these choices. Jimmy doesn't have to get involved with the cartel and stuff like that. He doesn't have to go into the desert to get $7 million, you know, uh, in, but you make these choices. And uh, once you once you once you've made that choice and you've you've committed to it, you never know what's going to happen. But they're they're their own they're their own ones to blame. But here's a really good question: uh, You and I were talking off the air. We got talking about radio and things like that. And you were saying, and you mentioned already uh, the, the dad's your dad's business, and you did some of the, the commercials. You had voice the commercials as a as a young as a young girl. But Lori says, Heather, tell us about when you left your family's funeral home business and you ultimately ended up doing what you're doing now. So that's a big move, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. Somebody has been reading um, some backstory. But uh, yeah, I, I was studying biochem and I was pre-med and uh, was all set to uh, either be a mortician or or maybe a pediatric uh, surgeon or something like that. I wasn't sure. Um, but I, I started getting interested in writing during a, a, a semester in New York. I started doing theater. Um, and I made a switch to writing. The only writing job I could find in Nebraska was a journalist for the railroad. So I was still living in uh, my parents' funeral home, but I started picking up some journalism pieces and then traveling around on freight trains to write. Um, and then I, I knew that like my heart was in TV and film and I wanted to do that kind of writing. So I packed up my Grand Am and I drove out to Los Angeles and I uh, started interning and went to UCLA and, and, and started assisting. So it was kind of a, it, it seems like a big move, but it was a very slow process. It was about, uh, you know, it took about eight years of assistant work and hard work before I uh, got to meet the people at, um, at Better Call Saul. Wow, what a story for sure. And that is, it's a big, it's a big story. And our, and our viewers here and friends, they, like, I never, ever, ever profess to know it all here. I'm being schooled all the time from them. So I just learned a little bit about that. I didn't even know until tonight that, you know, your dad had the business. So that's very, very cool. And the fact that you were uh, part of it for quite some time. Um, this is from uh, Mrs. Wexler. She's the one that do the really cool character of you today. Yeah, uh, yeah thank you. That she does awesome. some good stuff. It was really cute. Uh, so she says, uh, so Mike helps to, re- in your episode, Mike helps to repair the house while it's raining there and it's leaking on the sill there and everything. Um, was this scene showing Mike's crafty side? Because he is good. You know, he could he can pretty much fix anything. He's a MacGyver. Or was it his hidden inner kindness? 
That's a great question. Thank you for asking that. And I, I think I think probably it was both. I think it's nice to see Mike working with his hands. We got to see a little bit of the end of him building a carport with his son, Maddie, um, in season three in a flashback. We've seen him uh, build things for Stacy. I think, um, you know, it, part of the journey that he had in that town in Mexico was warming. Uh, to the person that he was staying with and to helping her. And I think that that was a connection that he hadn't felt in a long time, just like a friendship, platonic connection with somebody that was important for him. And I think the other element to it was that he was finding a way to be useful again. Mm -hmm. He really felt useful. And then um, we see, I, if I'm if I'm remembering uh, my own episode correctly, uh, he starts on the window and then he goes out and has that conversation with Gus. And then he comes back and he feels like he's considering what he's going to do, but he's he's listening to what Gus said about like we need to find our purpose and like you could have a purpose. Um, and then I feel like the finishing of that window is like a punctuation on that scene where we're seeing that um, come to fruition. We don't know what he's decided yet, but uh, maybe we have an idea. Well, that's good. That's good. And what I love about what you always do, and when I say you, all of you, there's always some humor just uh, sprinkled in for to kind of break some tension that might be in the scene. You know, so Mike, you know, he can't speak back and forth or at the at the breakfast table there or whatever. He can't speak Spanish, um, and and he's trying to have a communication, and and he's trying to charge his phone. And I mean, he's doing all this MacGyver stuff, just trying to hook up. I actually, I think he pulled out a lamp cord and he's hooking it all up, whatever. And she comes in, she goes here, and she hands him the cell phone charger. Was that your idea, or was that a collaborative idea? I'm sure it was a collaborative idea. <laughs> you know, I did consult my friend Jeremy Tatro in uh, in my hometown to to teach me how exactly you would build a phone charger. He's an electrician. Okay. And I have to call back and say that my dad, as a mortician, has helped us with several scenes in the in the show. He helped. Um, with the way that, it, you know, in the first episode where the, the guys have uh, broken into the funeral home and had un, un, unruly relations with yes. the corpse. My dad helped set up the embalming room, and he also uh, gave us notes on the dead hand that Mike digs up in 308. So I have to just mention that in case my dad's watching. And Isn't that cool? Um, but, um, yeah, so that that scene is so funny that where mike's not asking for the charger because i feel like he probably could get away with not knowing spanish by just showing her yeah. the phone and saying like charge please but he's so stubborn he doesn't want to ask for help so he goes to this great great lengths to try to build the charger and then she dangles it in front of him and i think that is a really funny moment that was cool it just breaks the tension for a brief moment right i, I that was yeah. really good um, Nat Romero says, Ray said in an, in an interview that Kim wouldn't use contradictions while speaking for the first seven to eight episodes. Do you remember that being discussed in the room? Um, you were a writer's assistant then at the time. Contra um, contradictions? Yeah, I'm not sure what she means there while speaking for, um, she wouldn't use contradictions. Unless I'm getting this voice to text wrong, whatever. But yeah, well, contradictions while speaking for the first seven to eight episodes. Uh, do you remember that being discussed? So I'm not quite sure. Maybe maybe we can have that question resent to us. I'm not positive on that one. Um, here's while we wait for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, from Big Bubbles, Big Bubbles fan. Who is the character for you that is the most challenging? Wow. Um, thank you. That's a really good question. Interesting question. Um, I think there are probably a few that take me longer to crack. Um, I think, you know, but they're all, they're also a lot of fun. I mean, Mike and Gus are difficult because of how 
um, economical they are and by all of the things that they're saying by not speaking. Uh, and really, most of what they say is in their silence. Um, so it, sometimes it was hard to find the dialogue for them. Um, but that said, it was just it was a lot of fun to write their dialogue, too. I really enjoyed having scenes with them, especially together. For sure, for sure. Now, here is a really good one here as well, too. Let's see if I can find this one. Um, I just skipped a little too fast. Um, that was, oh, th this is perfect. So here's one from Nat again. This one you can answer for sure. She says, okay, can we please talk about Kevin Wattel, Wattel and uh, impersonation uh, was taking a bath, the only option on the table? <laughs> um, that was, I'm. you know what? I could probably venture to say that was a Tom pitch. Um, to have them go shower together at the end. Okay. Uh, that scene, maybe. I mean, maybe it wasn't. Maybe we came to it together, but it seems like something Tom would have come up with. Um, that scene was so fun. It was so fun to write. It was so fun to watch. It was like something that um, Ray and Bob rehearsed and just really brought to another level when we were on set. Um, I remember a day in the writers where, where somebody said, statues, statues, statues. And I think that was a light bulb moment where we all looked at each other and were like, Ray has to do that. Ray has to impersonate Kevin in a scene with Bob. Um, and, you know, the side sitting thing, that was something that Rex Lynn, as an actor who I adore Rex Lynn, good friends with him, but he um, um, does that side sitting all on his own. Okay. So I think in, in watching back the character and some of the scenes from him, we're like, God, Rex always does sit off to the side. Maybe maybe Kim should should mention his side sitting too. So that that scene just really came together in a fun way. A little bit of a way to roast him a little bit, right? Yeah. Yeah, in a friendly way. Yeah. You know, we get to the end of the scene and we're like, so so is is Kevin asking Kim to go take a shower or uh it's yeah, it's fun. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> So here's a, a follow-up to that question from from Nat. So maybe this makes more sense. She was taking no uh, contractions. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, that does make sense. So that's not something that we discussed, although we, you know, we did discuss the fact that Kim is very buttoned up and she's very proper and she it, it takes her, as she said, seven or eight episodes. So it probably did take her that long to kind of relax into her own. And uh, maybe when she was working for HHM, she wouldn't, uh, speaking any contractions and then when she got out to uh, Wexler McGill she let her hair down a little and she did actually let her hair down we started to style her hair differently yeah so and she relaxed a little it makes a big difference for sure you can feel it they just you totally feel it I think there's actually like uh, Kim Wexler ponytail and things like that out there on uh, social media handles out there it's funny um, here's a good one from Shashank he has great questions as well too a super chat says and something that we're all looking forward to to see what happens to Gene, obviously, in season six. But how do the writers approach writing the Gene timeline at the beginning of each new season? That's a great question. Um, we do spend some time at the top of each uh, season, kind of uh, what we call blue sky. Um, and we have a board, you know, at the back of the room with all of the episodes. And we kind of put some cards up there. And, and we spend some time talking um, early on about what those Gene scenes might be and as the seasons progressed um it became more obvious to us that that storyline was becoming more substantial so we definitely spent more time talking about it um we didn't have plans at the beginning of the show for it to be um you know anything in particular it was it started with the one scene and we just 
you know, we committed to that scene and we, we were careful not to like overcommit to a storyline that we would have to play out if we didn't want to, mm -hmm. but we followed it and it became something that, that we could expand on. So it's something exciting and maybe something to look forward to uh, in the future. Nice, nice. And I mean, you know, fingers crossed with that, you know, with being 13 episodes, you know, there's a lot of people like, you know, the fan theories are fantastic. You know, maybe we'll see uh, a full, a full gene episode. And I think I pitched that question either myself or on behalf of a viewer. Uh, last last time we had Gordon on the show, and I think he kind of alluded to it, they might be looking at uh, possibly a full, uh, I don't want to quote that he did say that I think he said that sometimes I have to go back and watch my own shows after because you know, I'm trying to focus on technical problems that could go wrong. And sometimes I forget what's even being said, right? But that'd be cool. We're looking forward to that. That would be cool. Yeah. yeah. I'd like that too. Uh, Teresa, uh, Teresa says, love listening to you, Heather. You are just fabulous. So a nice compliment. Oh, thank you, Teresa. Um, now, this person's name, I'm going to pronounce it wrong. I, I know that I know him as a regular, but Fidest uh, or Fedesite, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing it wrong. Uh, how did you get to work on the show? And what would you recommend to a new uh, screenwriter? Thanks for everything. Oh, I love that question. I, I really do love that question. Um, and uh, I try to, you know, answer it as much as possible. Um, so I started, like I said, I, I when I first came out, I was um, an intern. I, I looked for an internship that I thought fit me well. Um, and that I, I specifically targeted a producer named Laura Ziskin. And it really is what, what you might hear. It's just like, work really hard, um, stay in your feet, be generous give other assistance opportunities. Um, so I learned script coverage well, and I um, you know, helped out the other assistants as best I could. And from there, I got a job as an assistant uh, to a showrunner. Um, I worked for, for that sh person for a year and a half. Um, and then I worked for um, a, a producer comedian named Jeff Garland for four and a half years. And I was with him on Curb Your Enthusiasm and then um, the Goldbergs, um, and I, I worked on a movie with him and I was as an associate producer and Bob Odenkirk was the star in that movie. So I got to Sweet. know Bob pretty well. Um, I also was getting my master's at UCLA. So like a few, you know, I would say keep a lot of irons in the fire along the way and, um, you know, keep your, keep your eyes on the prize, um, because things, uh, fall into place if, if you keep working working hard. So I heard about the opportunity for Better Call Saul that it was starting up and I kind of like threw all my weight in that direction because I had such respect for the filmmakers involved and for the material. Um, and so, you know, I asked, I asked people for recommendations and I reached out to my old employers and for the first time said, you know, could you help me? Could you send an email to, to maybe um, help me get a chance? To be, to be on the show. Um, so I got an interview and started as a writer's assistant, but many years of uh, working and assisting and also keep, keep keeping writing my own material, even when no one was paying me for it. Good. Yeah. Keeping the chops up, right? Yeah, it's it's like uh, anything. If you're paint, if you're a painter or a guitar player like myself, you know, if you're maybe not making money at it, um, keep doing it. You got to keep those chops fresh. Yeah, and uh, keep keep uh, and keep fostering other people doing it too. You know, read other people's work and yeah, and try to be as generous as you can. Yeah, I saw a good post the other day from. Uh, I'm not sure if you're friends with them. I know some of the cast and crew are uh, Glenn Mazzara. He's a good friend of mine, and I know he's done some of the Writers Guild panels. He did them with a bunch of the staff there back in. A, it was a Breaking Bad Writers uh, panel. But I saw a tweet from him the other day, and he not too many writers do this. He was accepting scripts. And for most people, contractual reasons, they can't accept scripts, you know, for legalities and things like that. But he was reviewing scripts. And it was nice to see, you know, uh, some people were chewing him a new butt for because he was giving some tough love, 
right, on some of these scripts. Um, and, you know, you can't sugarcoat some things. You can't blow smoke up people's butts and say you're going to be great if you're not. But it was nice to see someone of that caliber, of his, of his writing caliber, um, to, to take on some things like that and give some advice. So the more you can do for people like that, you know, the better. It's nice. Yeah, he's always been super uh, amazing and accessible. And so, um, you know, I love the honesty and, and just how real he is. And it feels like he, he will... Um, he won't uh, steer you wrong. Uh, and I remember, I, I also teach, I teach at San Francisco State and Boise State at uh, drama development. And I actually used some of Glenn Mazzara's, um, some notes that I took while he was giving one of his panels at the Guild. And he was also there when I did my, um, my staff immersion workshop at the WGA. And he said so many great things that I was writing down that I could then pass along to my students. So he hasn't just helped the people that he's seen directly. He has really like, he has an umbrella effect, um, which, you know, you never know uh, who you're going to help by like opening yourself up to helping people. Yeah, he, he's, I love him a lot. It's funny because my son at the time, he was probably about, I'm going to say between five and eight years old, somewhere in that neighborhood. And he was playing the Walking Dead theme on his keyboard, just learn how to play it. And both him, both Glenn, because I was friends with Glenn at the time, still am, but uh, him and, and uh, Bear McCreary had commented and said how Junior was doing this really good. So Junior's having a bath, it's almost bedtime, he's having a bath, and Glenn calls me at home and says, can I speak to Eric? And he actually asked to speak to Eric, and I put the speakerphone, because he's in the tub, and he's like, just tell him how great of a job he did. And I'm like, you know, that is beyond cool, you know, to call and talk to a young kid to tell him how well he did on the thing. But I, I, as we were talking, I just reached under the desk, and I grabbed this, because it was right here. I've got a signed uh, script from Damien from uh from oh, glenn oh, wow. yeah, that, yeah I, that. I was really wishing that would have got picked up for a second season it didn't but you know that was a great a great piece yeah 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 so here's some more uh great questions coming through now this is a a, a good question from both Lori and from karina and we did touch base a little bit on you know c- characters being difficult to write for so there's kind of a uh, a difficulty and a happiness here so Lori says which characters have been the most difficult to write on Better Call Saul so far. And Karina says, do you have a, fair, a favorite character to write for? Uh, Mike's dial- dialogue really stood out um, and you uh, write a lot for Mike. So difficulty and, the, and then on the flip side of that, wow, I love writing for this person. Yeah, and I think um, I tried to touch on that a little bit earlier, but I think Mike is both difficult and such a joy. Like I, I don't, uh, that's another thing I recommend to people, like don't shy away from scenes that are difficult because they often become the most fulfilling scenes that you'll write And when you get to the heart of them. And usually when they're difficult, it's because you just haven't tapped into like what is supposed to be there yet or I'm having trouble listening to the character. I have trouble listening to Mike because he doesn't talk very much. So sometimes I have to spend more time with him to hear, hear what he's saying. And there are a lot of characters, you know, um, that have, uh, I guess, lesser roles that have been so fun to to work for uh, and to write for um, the Sklar brothers who played, um, they were the music store owners in uh, episode 308. They yeah. had some back and forth where they were kind of interrupting and, and haggling with Jimmy over the commercial that Jimmy was trying to play. Like that scene was just such, so much fun to, to write. Um, and as a side note, I've, I've worked with a lot of uh, identical looking siblings on this show. I, Dan and Steve, who were the skateboarding twins. Yes. Uh, were there Lewis and Danny who are not twins but they look a lot alike mm-hmm. and play the, the Salamanca brothers and then the Sklar brothers who were the music store owners and then I had triplets in uh, my episode uh, 505 uh, three little girls that were standing under the uh, crying Jesus the weeping Jesus at oh. Acker's house oh right right 
I just it just dawned on me as I'm talking to you that there are a lot of identical looking siblings that I've been able to. Isn't that crazy? Wow. Um, here's a question again. Now, I, I pronounced the name wrong before, so I'm just going to say Fed. Uh, I think it's Fedicite, but I'm going to say Fed. Um, and this is probably something you're just going to have to comment on as a fan of the show. Are we going to find out what happens in Chile with Gus? Um, and that's something as well, too. Some, you know, I've asked this question, not that question, but, you know, we want to know what happens to, to Gene, you know, and that kind of thing. And, 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 and sometimes... We don't, or, you know, Kim's backstory. We get to see a little bit of that, obviously, with her, you know, having an alcoholic mom, and you know, she played cello as a child, and that's about it. You don't get to see too much, and sometimes not knowing the whole story can really make the story more intense. And I think that's a, a question a lot of people want to know: is you know, everyone says, "Well, we know what you did in Chile," uh, you know, Gustavo. So that'd be as a fan, would you like to see that? I would love to see that. And I'm actually not going back to write for season six. I'm developing now. So I, I can truly speak as a fan and say, I would love to see that. I would love to see more about Kim. But then at the same time, I, I can think um, back to other things that I've wanted to see on shows um, in the past. And it's like, when I get all of my questions answered, it's not always the most satisfying outcome, like, because maybe I want something different for the characters. So I, I really think that there's value to uh, leaving us with some questions at the end. And I know that, that, that we're in capable hands with Vince and Peter. That's, that's awesome. Here's another good one from, from Karina as well, too. And it's funny, too. My better half, Sandra Lee, i got to give her props. She's trying so hard. Voice to text is not cooperating with her tonight. Um, great. But at great. But at least I'm waiting for the, the final one before I do a Ron Burgundy here. She, and this is from Karina. says, did you come up with the commercial with the old folks saying, uh, gimme Jimmy, uh, gimme Jimmy and click? Um, again, that was a group. That was a group effort. And I remember early on in season one, we, um, you know, we as writers, we have to take breaks. We can't just we can't just write and, and break story the whole day. But once in a while, we'll, we'll gather around someone's laptop and watch uh, Tim and Eric videos. And we would see their old, uh, their prices commercial and some of those old commercials. And then we were thinking one day, like, what if Jimmy made these commercials and they were kind of like the low quality sort of... Um, budget uh maybe he gets some students to help him and then uh we all took cracks at coming up with different commercials and i believe the one that we saw in episode 210 uh we saw that for the first time that ended up being kind of a an amalgamation of several ideas that we had come up with um but i did get to you know i got to write that commercial for the first time that played in 210 and and how much fun it was to work on that well, there, it goes back again, too. I mean, not that, I'm sure you weren't thinking of it at the time, but maybe it goes back to your radio days again, you know, doing those commercials for your dad's, uh, the, for the funeral home. And, you know, you had a little bit of experience, you know, how the ads go and how much time you've got, you know, a 15 second or a 30 second or whatever it may be, right? Yeah, um, it's it's fun to work on that kind of uh, mind again, the journalism and the timed and the like, uh, let's make something that's exactly 60 seconds. We got a spot to do. So uh, it was fun to work on those muscles. And it's and it's also fun just to like, you know, a lot of the job is just saying like, what if, what if this happens? What mm-hmm. if he makes commercials and they, they look crazy? And like, what kind of ideas can we come up with? And sometimes those land. Yeah. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. What if can be a, a, real, a really good thing and maybe a scary thing sometimes too. 
Um, Karina says uh, on that first episode that you co-wrote with Vince, uh, click, who came up with the, was Chuck not telling Jimmy about their mom asking for Jimmy right before she died? That was the most heartbreaking thing. And 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 I think too, if Jimmy would have known, it sure, certainly wouldn't have changed him. You know, he's he's made his choices to do what he's going to do. But I mean, that's that's such a thing to to not know, you know, that your mom asked for you, you know, did anything, did she say anything? Nope, nothing. So whose idea was that? Man, I really wish that, I kind of wish and don't wish, but like, you know, our, you know, we keep uh, notes, uh, the writer's assistant keeps notes and, and we don't do like, you know, there's no initials that, that say who came up with what ideas. It really is. It's a report at the end of the day of what everyone said. So I, I don't know who, came up with it, probably a bunch of us together saying, maybe this, maybe, maybe this, and we came into it together. But um, yeah, that was a really heartbreaking moment. And and throughout the series, you see sort of this push-pull of like some moments that, that really warm us to the relationship between Chuck and, and Jimmy. And then we see others that fracture them more. And that was definitely one of the fracturing moments where you're like, I don't know if, I don't know if I can forgive Chuck for doing this and then mm-hmm. later we see him you know singing karaoke with his brother and you're like oh you know there's that too but yeah that was such a such a gut-wrenching moment and that was the first scene that I that I wrote for the show <laughs> so that has a special wow. place in my room. Uh, you can imagine, right? Put yourself in, in his shoes. Uh, you know, you lose a family member or a parent. Like we all think our parents are immortal. I've lost both my parents, so they're they're long gone. You know, um, it takes a while to get you know over that. But the fact that maybe they said something real nice about you, or they even asked about you, you know, before they passed. Like, yeah, that's tough. That's a tough one. Yeah, for sure. Another good question. Yeah, this is from Mrs. Ignacio Ignacio Varga. Do you have a favorite scene or episode that you've been involved in writing? That's a tough one. That's like picking a favorite niece or nephew or a child or guitar, you know, but. Yeah, it is. I'm glad you said niece. I have some nieces and nephews. I know. I see them on your Instagram. You're really proud. (laughs) I am. I'm such a proud auntie. Um, Yeah, it's I mean, there are scenes that stand out. from from episodes but i i just don't know like i just said about that that first scene that i ever wrote for the show was the teaser of 210 and so that's always going to stay with me it was a really it was really new and exciting for me to write the the shootout in 404 the first draft of that i I hadn't written anything like that it was a lot of fun to write the dialogue between jimmy and the uh community service supervisor at the end of episode 308 just because mm-hmm. it was so like that's the first time that we really let slip and jimmy loose and he like <laughs> he just really went for it um so it was fun fun to write that and and some of my favorite scenes to write have been the gus mike scenes you know in 308 and uh 505 uh, fantastic fantastic and it's nice when you see the slip and jimmy getting his little uh the the start of that right yeah, it was fun to see the genesis of that. I know, I know. And, and then go back to you know the teaser of three hundred eight. I I think I think three hundred eight. I'm remembering right was the uh, when we see Jimmy and Marco in Cicero, mm-hmm. and they're coming into their dad's corner store, and they're going to be hustling for coins. So to see some of that, like here's the evolution of Slippin' Jimmy as we now know him, and later Saul Goodman. Like it's fun to start putting some of those pieces together. That's right. A very good question from Michelle. She says, I see you're from Nebraska, and so is Kim Wexler. Is this a coincidence, or did this come from you? Um, I I don't think it was my idea to make her story like mine, but it is. we did model her uh, pieces of her story after um, 
some of the things from my history. Like I am from a town on the Kansas Nebraska border. Um, I may have ended up marrying the guy that ran the grocery store. Uh, if I didn't get out to get more, um, you know, I do, I am a Kansas city chiefs fan and you do see Kim there. And like I, I mentioned earlier, my, um, my uncle, uh, has a funeral home in Red Cloud, Nebraska, where you see that's that's where Kim grew up. Um, so that's about 30 miles from my hometown. So there's a lot of commonalities, and you know it's fun to write some of um, some of Kim. You know she has that diction and that uh, kind of Midwestern flair that I know pretty well. Sweet, sweet, and never set your sights lower. Aim for the stars, right? And just might fall on the moon. Who that's, knows? That's right. This is the last question for the evening, and this is one from Lisa. And some of these questions are, I mean, they're, they're all fantastic and things I would never would have thought of in a million years. Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sneak one of my last ones in for myself. Uh, but Lisa says, is all or, or all, are all of Kim's teeth brushing uh, moments symbolic? Huh? Um, you know, maybe, maybe Peter has a different answer for this, and I, maybe you're going to have him on and he'll say something. I think that they're a lot of fun. I love when we are seeing people's fingers get getting stuck in their mouths and uh, sharing. <laughs> um, so that's fun. I, I, I feel like it's symbolic of their um, growing relationship and keying us up to, to being even more heartbroken when we see where they're going to end up. Like, I don't know how much teeth brushing is left for them in the future. Maybe, maybe we're going to see them in the Midwest brushing their teeth together. That would be lovely. Wouldn't that be fantastic? That would be great. And Peter is coming back on, actually. We're looking forward to having him back. That's going to be great. Um, the last time we had him on, we surprised him with a crash, uh, a, a party crash from Bob Odenkirk. He popped on himself and totally threw Peter off. He didn't know he was, com- he was coming. And um, uh, I was speaking with uh, Joanna, Peter's assistant, for about a week and a half in advance. And we kept it a secret. Peter had no idea. And we were going to be using Skype for our connection. So we were all planned on Skype. And then we needed to do Zoom because Bob needed Zoom to, to come into the meeting. So we changed last minute. And so she tells Peter, oh, there's been a change in plans. You have to use Zoom now. And uh, um, so everything's going to be good, blah, blah, blah. And then Bob popped in. It was it was really fun. So the last question I have, uh, and I, again, I like to give the fans more questions than me. So this, I'm just going to give you one last one. And here again, this is a fan, yourself being a fan, looking ahead. The last we saw of, uh, you know, uh, Kim and Jimmy, you know, kind of planning some maybe deserved, maybe not so deserved uh, revenge on Howard. Do you think Howard is deserving of what might be coming his way? <laughs> I have, um, yeah, thank you for asking that. I have so much trouble separating um, Hamlin from Patrick Fabian. And Patrick is like just one of the best people. Um that I know like he's so wonderful I don't think Patrick deserves anything bad to happen to him and therefore I think Hamlin has paid his price (laughs) Um, but that being said it's always fun to see him uh, under the ringer a little bit and I liked uh, seeing Jimmy heaving bowling balls so either way I'm gonna be happy as long as Patrick is fine and I, I love Patrick. He's great. He's just he's such a great guy. And um, you know, you you can see two sides to that that argument, right? Okay, yeah, he's sometimes a jerk, but he's not. You know, he, he and, and I'm talking about Howard, not Patrick. You know, so it's gonna be really interesting to see. And, and there's a lot of a lot of arcs that need to be tied up. Maybe some will just be kind of swept under the rug. Not that the writers ever do that. Who knows? But there's a lot of stories that are coming to an end. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll for, wait for the next uh, spinoff. That's we'll right. 
That's right. Well, listen, we're just going to wrap up here in a moment. I'll say some thanks again to some of the people that helped make this show possible. But first of all, I want to thank you. This has been a great 60 minutes. I've been looking forward to this all week. And um, it is funny, last night I was checking out some of the videos on your, some of the posts on your Instagram, and I saw that you did some of the workouts with uh, uh, Lewis and Daniel. And I, I promised you on Twitter today, I said, uh, I promise not to piss you off because you would easily kick my ass. So uh, I, hope I, didn't, I hope you had fun tonight, in other words. I don't want you coming after me. It's been a lot of fun. So I want to say thank you again to all of our, uh, our Patreon members, our channel members, our Patreon supporters, channel moderators, uh, Mark and uh, Sandra Lee in the chat. Thank you so very much. Our subscribers, our super chatters, PayPal donators, and all those people that buy our stuff through the Broadstash Boutique. Uh, broadstash.com, we thank you so very much. And we talked about the brothers several times tonight. They're going to be back here next Friday night, same time, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. And we're going to do nothing on the iPad, nothing scripted. It's going to be all for the fan questions. So bring your questions. You can ask multiple questions uh, from each person. We'll do our very, very best to ask each and every one of them. And uh, check out later on tonight. I'm a little bit behind on the audio podcast. I've got to get Gordon's up. I've also got to get James Austin Johnson's uh, podcast up and we'll be getting Heather's up uh, tonight as well too. So I've got three audio podcasts to put. So wherever you get your podcasts, you know, iTunes, uh, Google, any of those places like that, we'll have it up as well too. So I'm going to give you an invitation to come back sometime uh, next year if you want and let us know how you're doing some of these projects that you've got in the works. Maybe give us an update. That'd be great. I would I would be glad to. Awesome. Awesome. Well, don't go away. I'm going to say goodbye to you off the air. Everyone, have a safe weekend out there. Please uh, adhere to some of the uh, things people are suggesting to uh, social distancing and all that good stuff. Just please be safe. And uh, the more you do your part, the more we get back to these shows and filming. Everybody wants, people want, when are you going to do the show? When are you going to do the show? Well, we have to wait for till it's safe. But anyways, we'll see you next week. And until next time, cheers. Thanks again for tuning in to Inside the Gilliverse with Eric Broadbent. Be sure to check back each week for more great discussions and interviews with cast and crew from Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul. 